Well, good morning and welcome to Anthem Church. Um, as you have already heard, we've been going through a sermon series called Compassion. So we've been working our way through the, the ninth chapter of Matthew. So it's the Gospel of Matthew that we've been working through. And so, we, so we've been going through what does it mean to have compassion? Better yet, how does it look like when we display passion in our lives? So we have established literally a baseline of what compassion is. And it, it just simply came from a definition. All right, and it's to have a deep care, uh, just to have the deep care or welfare for another, and, a, and, and that's coupled with a strong desire to help alle alleviate that suffering that's going on with that person. So, like everybody else has come up and preached, you know, they all had their personal little, um, you know, story about compassion. So I thought I'd throw one in. You know, I, I remember about the, you know, the. the but Brent said about you know his his thing with compassion. So mine, it was a little bit more you know centralized with my family. Uh, me and my wife, we like to drink our coffee together in the morning. We do some Bible study and all that kind of good stuff. And it would happen a bit that our 18-month-old son would be with us as well. Now uh, me being you know the dad that I am, I've got a real soft spot soft spot for my son. You know I love that guy. And um, when he wants to sit with daddy's coffee. I give it to him, all right? And for all you guys thinking, why are you being Well, I'm the type of guy who likes more cream and sugar in his coffee. So it's more of a treat than it is really, you know, coffee. So that's not the compassion part of this story. The compassion part is this. We have a general rule in our household that if somebody were, or, or if, you know, the, the first one who finishes their cup of coffee, um, they have the responsibility of changing the diaper of our son when he, you know, he has that morning food. So happened to be that um, he came up, he was wanting a sip of coffee, and I already could tell the smell was there. Now, my wife had finished her coffee, but since I actually was, you know, working on my second cup of coffee, I felt obligated to show compassion on her, and so I went to go and change passion. And so, good thing that I did, because wow, you know, it's, he's at that point, 18 months old, you know, they, they you never know what you're going to find there. <laughs> so we all make a little joke about that, and, you know, but I, I asked that question to ask this, is was that really showing compassion? And the reality is, is I think I tried to mold that so that everybody would think that I'm showing compassion. It was. I was looking out for the welfare of my wife, but those are just natural day, ordinary things of compassion. The question I guess I really want to ask was, did I have a strong desire to alleviate the pain for somebody that was in need? You know, I don't know that that would contemplate or you know bring out as being uh, a thing of compassion. That's just a normal act of love that we're supposed to do. So let me give you a real story out in the world of a, of a person who truly had compassion. You might know him, uh, but it's, it's a story about a man named Kent Brantley. All right. Somebody, some of you that might recognize or ring phone, but as we get into the story, it's going to start to unfold. He is a husband, he is a father of two young kids, and he's a medical doctor. All right? And instead of going into private practice, you know, Dr. Brantley decided to put his medical skills into humanitarian efforts. So that's what he started. And at first, when he was in school, he was actually going around to the inner city neighborhoods uh, around Indiana and helping out in that effort. 
And then he also took several medical trips to Uganda to be of medical service you know, to the people there. Not only that, but he, he was also part of the U.S. humanitarian effort when there was an earthquake in 2010 in Haiti. So that was an interesting artifact that I kind of read up about him. Um, but then in, in, in October of 2013, Dr. Ken Brantley, he, he took a, you know, a role in the latest humanitarian effort to go over to Monrovia, Liberia. All right, so here's where the, the story starts to, to darken a little bit, go down a little bit downhill. It was six months later, so in March of 2014, that the largest outbreak of Ebola started right there in Liberia. And he was right in the middle of it. In fact, one month before that this outbreak you know, uh, took over the, the country, he had never heard of what Ebola was. Uh, but, it, but he became one of two doctors that were treating this disease in Liberia. And he made the conscious decision to actually stay and to help the people. Well, you can see, you know, as my story, I was saying it was getting darker. But three months later, he tested positive for Ebola. And then, I don't know because we all hear the word Ebola, we, we all conjure up this fear. It's rightly to be, you know, to, to have that, you know, idea about what Ebola is. But let me give you an understanding of what it is. Ebola is just an illness that kind of looks like a fever. You have a sore throat, you have muscle pain, you have a headache. And then it, it, it goes into vomiting. It's very similar to what we would, would say the stomach fluid, right? But then uh, Ebola progresses. You start having uncontrollable diarrhea and then hemorrhaging inside the body. And in, in fact, in the hundreds of patients that Dr. Kent Brantley uh, uh, was treating, there was only one survivor. So he knew what this was about. In fact, what he, what he spoke about it was, he said, Ebola is a humiliating disease that strips you of all dignity, being put into isolation and being abandoned by all except the faces of those treating you behind those protective masks. You rely on others to clean up your uncontrollable boundaries. It's humiliating. It's just one of those diseases that you don't want to be a part of. And at first he was at, he actually saw it in others, and then he actually went through it. But through that all, I can't have an unbelievable peace. Because Dr. Brantley, he was a Christian. He was actually a medical missionary with Samaritan's Purse, and he was actually spreading the good news of the gospel while he was treating this this disease. And then I don't know if you know the end of the story, but it's actually a positive one. He, he was brought back here to America and he was treated in Emory Hospital in Atlanta, Georgia. And he got, and he was given this experimental drug for you know for one month. And he actually recovered. He was taken out of isolation and was able to rejoin his family. But then when he was asked about his ordeal, so they were asking him personally, how what, what was going on through you? His mind was not on itself. It was on those back in Liberia. He said it is, it is clear that we have been given a new platform for helping the people of Liberia. While I was there, all I wanted to do is to tell them that they were valuable, that they were loved, and that I was there to serve them. See, that, my friends, is what a true mission, what it means to have compassion for someone. See, that is a love story that is that he was given it. He was there because, you know, he was there because those who were stricken by misfortune and really of the deadliest kind, he didn't want to turn a blind eye to it. He actually he chose to stick around and he stayed regardless of the consequences. 
even though he might even have been infected himself, which he was, he wanted to help those people. He was sharing the good news of Jesus while attending to their needs. So as we get ready to get into our passage today, uh, I just want to give, okay, just open it up with a, an overriding question. You don't have to answer me back. This is you know, one for you to just take in. But would you be willing to do that? Can that be said of you? Do you have compassion like that? As we get into God's word today, I, just, I hope the Lord will help reveal the certain situations, the action that he is actually calling you into. Because everybody's life is different and everybody needs to have some act of compassion for something. So let me pray real quick. Lord Father, open up our, our hearts, our minds. You know, we're going through your scripture passage, but this is relevant for us in our lives today. I pray that in any unique way, just speak to our hearts of the meaning you have for us through these passages. Lord, I pray that it will be a desire to have compassion on others. Amen. All right, if you would, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. That's where we're working our way through. We're going, I'm going to be hitting our, our passages today, our 18 through 26. Um, but what I like to do, and I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm copying somebody else. Um, last week, Scott spoke on the passages right before mine. And he even, you know, last week, you know, went, went back and spoke about the, the passage before. And I think that's good because it helps us get back into place of where we are when we're following the story. It helps conjure up what we've already gone through, what we've already been taught. So actually this morning, what I'm going to do is I am actually going to start with verse 15. So if you're there, uh, Matthew chapter 9, we're going to take a swig of water and we'll get reading. And Jesus said to them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast. But no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and a worse tear of results. Nor do people, nor do people put new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wineskins burst. The wine pours out, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. Now to our story this morning. While he was saying these things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. So Jesus got up and began to follow him, and so did the disciples. So the first thing that I want to point out today about compassion is, Compassion is love in action without reservation, all right? And I'll get to that, but this is where the story takes us. Jesus is in the middle of talking to a group of his disciples, and then the focus goes away from him, and it turns on to this uh, synagogue official. And according to the, the Gospel of Mark, the synagogue official's name is Jarvis, all right? So I'm going to be using his name instead of the synagogue official. I'm going to be saying Jarvis, so that's who you know that this is. Now, Every town back in the day had, usually the bigger town had a synagogue. Now what is a synagogue? Well, let me tell you, it was the social center of the town, all right? So we have the little train depot here, and there's a lot of festivals in there, you know, you know especially during the summer, where that's kind of what it was. This is where the Jewish congregation would meet 
And they would greet me and have worship there. They would have instructions. They would have prayer. They'd have study and education. It was just a really busy place. Now, Jairus, he was like the event coordinator of this facility, of this facility, all right? So he had to work really close with the religious leaders of the day. Who are those religious leaders? Well, those were the Pharisees. Those were the Sadducees. Those were the scribes. And to just to paint a bigger picture, they don't get along too well with Jesus, all right? They, you could say that they had conflicting views. In, in fact, they thought of Jesus as a really dangerous heretic to their cause. So it would have been of Jairus' best interest not to go to Jesus or find some other source to go to besides Jesus. But these were desperate times, and desperate times, they, they need desperate measures. So what did he do? Jairus turned to the one person that he had heard stories of miraculous miracles. So he went to him. Now, this is a big deal. All right? I've just told you kind of why. And not only that, but as Jairus approached Jesus, as the text says, it says he bowed in front of everybody. All right? All the disciples. He, he, he's bowing. That is a, a show of respect. It is a posture of humility, per se. And he pleads. He makes this plea to Jesus. He says, my daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Now, there's a lot of things going on here, but number one, we got to see that he was confident that Jesus could raise her from the dead. All right? And in Matthew, Matthew is very deep. It's not very detailed as it is in the Mark and Luke passages. He kind of cuts right to the chase. But even in so, even in the, in the words that are used right here, there is a deeper subject matter that goes into the truths of this passage. Because Jesus does more than just raise a person back to life. He gives them new life. And I'll explain what that means. It, it is that Jesus truly wants to provide spiritual healing. That's what he's here. In fact, in the New Testament, the, the words from what Jerry said, he said, in, in the laying of hands, it's associated with the gift of receiving the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, 14 through 17, it says that when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, the words of Jairus here, they're very simple, but they're so profound in a spiritual sense. He was inviting Jesus not only to come raise his daughter to life physically, but also spiritually. So what does it say that Jesus did? He got up, he didn't say nothing, and he followed Jairus. Now, big picture here. Do we see how Jesus is having compassion in this, in this situation? So he sees somebody that is in need, and he took action. He didn't ask questions. He didn't say, how much is this work to you? He didn't, he didn't wait for the ridicule that might have come or that he might receive. His intent was to be a physical and spiritual blessing to this young girl. In the same way, that is what our mission is for Jesus. We are to have compassion and love those without reservation. So how do we, how have we shown compassion to others? Are we generous with our time? Are we generous with our resources? 
Do we help somebody who is in need? In fact, do, when we have conversations with our coworkers or our friends or our neighbors, do we ever think that they should lead into something that is uh, spiritual importance? Does that ever come up? Now, I know that can be hard at times, um, and this is our plug for the A-team, so listen up. If you're not in an A-team, we are actually starting a, a, a new little um, study called The Story. And the story really, all it is, is that we have to hope that when you are connecting with people, you can connect with people about who Jesus is. Just in the, in, in the story and be able to share your faith and share what Jesus has done for you. So if you're not in 18, that's your plug. Go see somebody at the front desk. All right. Uh, as well, I, and I, 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 I shouldn't even say this, but we are going to be starting one on Sunday mornings. I haven't told Pastor Rick, but I know that he, he's, he's for it. But we're going to be starting it very soon. I was even thinking about next week. Um, but if you are interested, come see me. Because we, we, we really want to everybody to be in an agent. All right. As we continue in Matthew, there's a, there's a second point I need to make. All right. And so as we're, we're heading on into reading the next part, is that Compassion is caring enough for someone to put their interests ahead of others and to leave them better than you found them. I stole that. I will honestly plead the, the, the thing, but, but if you look at this card, and a lot of you have received this, you know, that is that is one of those things of, of love. You know, we are we're all about you know love, faith, and hope. But that first one right there is you know submitting our interests for the interest of others, all right? So this is this is the this is where you know my compassion thing come, came from here. So it's putting somebody else's needs in front of ours, but leaving them better than what you found them. All right. So read with me. We're on to Matthew chapter nine, verses twenty through twenty-two, and it says, "And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his coat, for she was saying to herself, if only I touch his garment, I will get well.'" But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. Now here we, we, we kind of have a story within a story. Jesus is on the road to Jairus' house to, to you know, help out this, you know, this young lady. And then another young lady, you know, for 12 years, she's been bleeding. Now my goal was to primarily stay in the Matthew um, text. But here I think that it is really good that I, I pull a little segment from Mark. And from the Gospel of Mark, it said about this woman, it said she had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not better, but rather grew worse. What that is telling us here is that she had extinguished all of her resources to find a cure for her bleeding, all right? She was bankrupt in every sense of the word, not only monetarily, but also socially. And I'll tell you why it's socially. It, it actually meant that she was ceremonially unclean. All right, so that comes from the Levitical law, and I'm going to, and I'm going to jump into Levitical. But the Levitical law is what the Jewish standard of living was. So they looked back to the law to kind of follow along as to this is how we're supposed to live our lives. And from Leviticus chapter 15, it talks about what a woman who is unclean. And it says in, in 15, starting with 25, it says, Now if a woman has a discharge of her blood many days, not at her period of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond that period, all the days of her impure, 
uh, discharge, she shall continue as though she were in her menstrual impurity. She is unclean. Likewise, in verse 27, it says, whoever touches them shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. She was socially bankrupt. And what I mean by this is that she couldn't participate in any of the worship ceremonies that went on at the temple. She had very restricted access to anybody. In fact, if she were to be around in a crowd of people, she had to yell out, unclean, unclean. So everybody else in the congregation or anybody that was around her would know to stay away from her. Why? Because if they even touched her, they themselves would become unclean. She did this, and this was like this for 12 years. She had no hope, she had no help, she had no solution. So just imagine, put her, putting herself in her shoes. And I know it might be easier for the ladies to put themselves in her shoes than men. But just think about the humility that it took from this young lady. In fact, more so, think about the disgrace that might have come upon her if somebody in that crowd around Jesus would have known who she was. See, Jesus didn't travel lightly. Everywhere he went, he always had a crowd around him. But her thought was simply this. If only I touch his garment, I will be made well. She too, just like Jairus, had heard the stories about Jesus, and she was drawn to the power of Jesus. It was her deep conviction, and she said it in her mind, that only Jesus could free her from this terrible disability. So envision kind of how this scene is going to play out. Jesus has a crowd of people around him. He's, he's going to Jairus' house. And she is determined that she has to get to Jesus. She has to actually touch him uh, to, you know, to feel his you know, redeeming power. And she pushes through the crowd, making everybody that she touches ceremonially unclean. And then as she touches Jesus, she's going to hightail and run so that nobody even knows any difference. But Jesus knows. He, he feels that she touches him. And then he turns and he faces this young lady. Now, bear in mind, I say this again, she touched him with uncleanness. In fact, Jesus had the right at that point in time to scold her, to make her look bad, to just make the situation very uncomfortable. But what did Jesus do? He encouraged. Take heart, brother. Don't be troubled. Be of some comfort. I'm not condemning you. He is showing compassion to her in their time of like utmost need because she is the last resort to be able to be healed from her disease. And he doesn't just leave her with, you know, just like an encouraging word. It's like, oh, you know, kind of how we do. All right, I'll be praying for you. This is, she, he went an extra step. He said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. Jesus made her holy. He reversed the cycle. Instead of her making him unclean, he actually cleansed her. And not only that, he didn't leave her in the state that she was in. All right? It was by his mighty power that, you know, Jesus was able, he was able to heal her physically, but just like the words of Jairus earlier, there is a deeper meaning to the words that were used by Jesus. 
And I'm going to take a quick closer look because this was more than just a physical healing. This was a spiritual cleansing. And I must say this, and it's, it's the same for us in our lives. Our physical needs ultimately point that we have a spiritual need, and that need is for Jesus. So I'll draw your attention back to this phrase, your faith has made you well, and I'm going to hone in on that one word, and very distinctly he uses this word, it's the word well, W-E-L-L. Now this is the Greek word for sozo, all right? I'm not a Greek scholar, I got that from the commentary, so you know, you can look it up too. But the word sozo can also be translated as to save, or another way to put to rescue from danger and destruction. The word choice used here by Jesus is undeniable. It is the truth that only by the power of Jesus can somebody be spiritually saved. And all it took was this young woman putting her faith in who Jesus was. That same truth still holds true for you and I today. If you are a Christian, then you can proudly proclaim, John 3.16 says, for it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, who is Jesus, and whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You have been made well. Jesus does this through his compassion for us. He has a strong desire not to leave us in the state that we are in. 1 Timothy 2.4 says in another way that Jesus desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of his truth. If you've never put your trust and faith in the Lord Jesus, guess what? He's calling for you. He wants to hear from you. He wants you to be humble like Jairus, and he wants you to be eager like this young lady was. And the simple fact is, is that you can do it in a simple prayer. It's between you and him. But the same holds true for all of those who have actually put our faith in the Lord Jesus. Why? Because he doesn't want to leave you in the state that you're in. It's not saved and go do whatever I want to do. The Lord wants more of you. He wants more for you. He wants to discipline you. Or, or disciple you, I shouldn't say. Yeah, he wants to discipline you. He wants to disciple you. He wants you to know all of his ways. And that's where, you know, I can... I can testify to my life here. The Lord has continued to disciple me. Um, I, like this young lady, I have a physical disability or I can say it's a disease. Uh, mine is diabetes. I, I can't go a day without taking a shot. I, before I came in here today, my blood sugar is up in the three points. That's not good. I get dry mouth. I hate it with passion, all right? don't understand what it does to me. And I've, I've had to live with this for, for over 20 years. And you know what? There's no cure. There's no cure for it. Yes, I mean, my, my mom has probably prayed diligently for every day for there to be a, a remedy for, for diabetes, but there still is none. But the Lord has had compassion for me. Alright? I say this to say he has given new technology to make life a lot more bearable. I hate taking, I, I hate taking shots, all right? 
And now he's giving me this little device that I can actually plug into my system, like right into my body, and I don't have to worry about it as much. My highs and my lows, they're, they're a little bit more stabilized. He took the time to have compassion on me. And there have been several medical advancements, but he didn't just rely on that. He did something more. In fact, I, I started getting into uh, scripture a little bit, and, and kind of, you know, I don't know why, but it kind of placed at the same time in my life that I started really seeking after the Lord, you know, my diabetes, and, and he revealed stuff in scripture to me. In fact, one of the things in scripture that I know and I have a promise and it's promised to me is that I will one day receive an incorruptible body and I don't have to ever worry about having a pump or having to take shots. Yeah, I will be washed clean. Not only that, but bigger than that, he made sure that he surrounded me with people who looked after my interests and that I came to the redeeming power of his great he allowed me to you know, see what it was, and I accepted Christ as my personal Savior. He sent people into my life to make sure that I had the saving knowledge of Him. Compassion is caring enough for someone to put their interests ahead of ours and to leave them better than what you found. So I ask you, everybody here. Do you leave people better off than you tell them? Have you been able to actually share the good news with somebody? Because isn't that what true compassion is? And it can come in the most simplest of ways. For us parents, it's discipling our kids, teaching them the ways of God's birth. For us as you know, those who are in the working industry, it's talking to work, not getting upset or mad when they do a bonehead move, but you know, actually showing them compassion and love. It's the same with our neighbors. We don't just have, oh, how's your weekend going and stuff like that. We actually have conversation with them about who Jesus is. Yeah, I know it's not easy. I know it's, it's hard, but just think about it. You have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? They don't have that education. Don't you think that they need to know about it? So Jesus, he isn't finished in extending compassion, not only to us in our lives, but in this passage. So we'll continue on. And we'll conclude the story about Jairus and his daughter. Picking up in, in Matthew 23, uh, verse 23, it says, When Jesus came into the official's house and saw the flute players, in the crowd in a noisy disorder, he said, Leave, for the girl has not died but is asleep. And he began laughing at it, and they began laughing at him. But when the crowd had been set out, he entered and took her by the hand, and the girl got up, and this news spread throughout the land. So kind of our third principle this morning about what compassion is, compassion is spreading the good news of Christ. Here we see the conclusion of what the original mission of Jesus was, is to go to Jairus' house and to you know, raise this girl from the dead. And as they're coming into the house, there is a noisy crowd going on. So something is going on. 
It's not that the girl has been healed or anything like that. Actually, this was a Jewish custom that when somebody has died, you have to actually hire flute players to come in. In fact, the, the poorest of poor people even had to hire two flute players to come to you know, the, the, death, the death ceremony of a person you know, to lead you know, the professional mourners in that way. And so when it says a noisy crowd, this official's house must have been really packed with flute players and mourners and families and friends. I mean, there was a wailing ceremony, the ceremony going on here, all right? That's what it means, but it is, was a noisy crowd. So when Jesus sees what's going on, he's like, we gotta stop this without rapping, all right? The girl is not dead, she is a sleepy plant. They laugh at him, whatever, but here it is. We've already witnessed the power that Jesus can easily heal a person with a, certain, with a simple touch. So raising a person back to life should be not, you know, to be well within his means, right? Now, we can easily say that and we can rely on scripture, but this is not a typical gesture. I mean, today, I would say that, you know, this is a man-made rule, but there are two things that are true in life, right? What are they? Death and taxes, right? So the fact that Jesus can raise somebody up from the dead is a miraculous act of compassion. He is able to live, lift somebody up back to life. And Jesus is making another point as well. He says, if I have the power to lift this person physically from death, then you can rely on my power to save you spiritually. See, he doesn't leave us in the state that we are in. He brings us to life. He himself, just think about it, he himself overcame death. He himself raised himself back to life. He walked right out of his tomb, and then he went and ascended into heaven, and he waits for us there. Tell me one other religious leader in this whole entire world or in the, world, the history of the world that can claim the same thing. They can't. Only Jesus can. And Jesus, we, it explains to us, the spiritual state is explained to us in another way in Ephesians chapter 2. And it says this, chapter 2 starting with verse 1. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And here's the kicker. comes later in verse 4. It says, but God, being so rich in mercy, compassion, because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That is the God that we serve. One who has such love for us that he doesn't leave us in the state that we're in or the sin that we usually get entangled with. He brings us out of it. Just like he brought Jairus' daughter out and he healed her. And what was, what was the last verse, verse 26, and what happened because of that? And his fame spread throughout. That is 
why we do this every Sunday. That is what it's supposed to look like every day in between Sunday and Sunday. That we are supposed to spread the fame of who Jesus is. So I ask this, and you know, I have to ask myself, because I can't point fingers, because there's always three pointing back at me. But what is holding us back? Why are we so timid to bring conversation up about Jesus? I don't know. But this is an encouragement. I've been I've been going through the scriptures and man, this is I don't even know how. I've had like at least three or four conversations just this past week about scripture with people at, at the workplace. And so I want to encourage you, continue to just praise God for what he has done. We can be assured of our salvation that is only in him. God has the power to heal us, to raise us from the dead. And God has cleansed us from the grip of sin. So why do we show compassion to others? Because Christ has shown that compassion to us. So as we conclude this morning, the Lord has hopefully has been stirring in, in us. Hopefully he's you know, trying to make us figure out where are some areas of our life that we could actually show compassion. My main points were this, that love, compassion is love in action without reservation. And compassion is caring enough for somebody to put their interest ahead of ours and to leave them better than you found them. And I, and I said this earlier, but it looks different for everybody. This could mean just simply loving your spouse when they're not loving you back. It could mean changing your plans for the day because you see somebody that is in need and has a greater need than what you're doing. It could be just somebody is heartbroken and just needs somebody to listen to them and encourage them and to build them up. For some people, it's we need to just disciple them to show them you know, certain ways that the Lord wants us to lead our lives. I started with the example of Dr. Kent Brantley. Um, he, he knew the risks. Uh, he could have walked away and said, um, that's a dangerous spot. I don't need to be in that. And I'm not saying that you know, we all need to put ourselves into dangerous positions. But he chose to stay, stay and serve others. He might not have healed them physically from the Ebola virus, but he had a chance to give them eternal life and a spiritual life that will live forever because he simply shared Jesus with them. That is the greater type of love. Compassion is spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what that's what ultimately compassion is. It's the pinnacle of what it means to actually have compassion, to share Jesus with anybody. So how do we need to respond this way? For those of us that you know maybe are Christians, you know, are there certain people that we need to reach out to? Are there, there are so certain people that you know that the Lord is actually calling us, literally loudly calling us in our minds that, hey, you need to help this brother or sister out. And for those who don't know Jesus, is he calling you to say, come receive my compassion. I will save you. I don't know what it is. But I know it's there.
we have a championship matchup. So it's just getting called into action. That is what Jesus did. He acted. He didn't wait around. Heavenly Father, compassion, uh, something that a lot of times goes under the wayside, especially in, at home or, you know, in the workplace, you know, our, our, ourselves, we can, we can easily get riled up and just move to anger or something like that. The Lord, compassion is, it needs blood. It, it just it flows through of having just a, a loving heart with somebody. To see the needs of somebody and just to sacrifice ours, how important they might be or not, but it's to lay aside our wants and our desires to help somebody else that is in more dire need. And most of all, Lord, that just going through these scriptures, I just, I, you spoke to me in overwhelming manner, you know, form that compassion truly is speaking about you to somebody that doesn't have you, that hasn't accepted you in their hearts. And make that a purpose in our lives, not just this week, but that is what our lives are supposed to be about. We are supposed to go out and spread the gospel, but not only that, we don't need to do things like that. We're also supposed to disciple them. Say that in that we make it clear. That is our mission, to go and make disciples of the Lord Jesus. Lord, this morning, we all have different ways of life and different aspects. Lord, you speak to us, if you ask them to us, you call us if you ask them to us, and show them love. Amen. 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 Amen.